This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We have to walk before we run and to understand the way nutrition, diet, and lifestyle and medications impact cholesterol and heart disease, it's much easier if you understand some basic parts of lipid metabolism. After this cholesterol series, I promise you, you'll be able to crush any debate with any cholesterol denier or self-proclaimed biohacker at your next dinner party. Welcome to Wellness, Fact versus Fiction. I'm Dr. Danielle Bellardo, and I'm a cardiologist who loves evidence-based medicine and nutrition science. But as a millennial, I've watched endless wellness fads take over social media. It's my mission to get to the bottom of things by bringing on the top expert physicians and scientists to help us determine what is fact versus fiction when it comes to your health. It's time to leave the pseudoscience behind and become empowered when it comes to our wellness. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Wellness Fact versus Fiction. I am Dr. Danielle Blardo, your host, and I am back this week to do part two of our cholesterol series. So for anyone that may be new to joining us here, I'm a cardiologist. And as you can imagine, lipid metabolism and cholesterol are a huge part of my specialty. Unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation out there on lipids and cholesterol. So I've been working on this multi-part series to share evidence-based cholesterol information with you all. Now, just a reminder, if you haven't listened to the first episode, part one of this cholesterol series, head back and listen to that first before you jump into today's episode. Part one of the series, we covered what is cholesterol and is it true that your body needs it? We covered how it causes heart disease and we discussed what does a lipid panel actually tell you, meaning when you go to the doctor and get blood work done, what exactly are you looking at? We outlined what's the difference between total cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, and triglycerides, and how each one impacts cardiovascular risk. We also covered what is ApoB, LDL particle number, and the difference between small and large LDL molecules and how each of these impact risk. We also discussed population data of what ideal lipid values are. So if you haven't heard that episode yet, head back and give it a listen before you jump into today's episode, which is all about cholesterol metabolism in your body. This multi-part series on cholesterol is going to cover a lot. Upcoming episodes will cover nutrition interventions to reduce cholesterol, medications, and guideline-directed medical therapy. But today, part two is another what I like to call foundation episode. 
We have to walk before we run. And to understand the way nutrition, diet, and lifestyle and medications impact cholesterol and heart disease, it's much easier if you understand some basic parts of lipid metabolism. After this cholesterol series, I promise you, you'll be able to crush any debate with any cholesterol denier or self-proclaimed biohacker at your next dinner party. So today, all about cholesterol metabolism, let's get into it. And if you haven't already, check out our podcast Instagram page. Our podcast on Insta is Wellness Fact Versus Fiction. It's actually super helpful during this series because for each episode, we're sharing visuals to help understand cholesterol and lipids. You can follow along the diagrams and photos as we go, and I think it will make conceptually all of this make a bit more sense. So now that you've listened to all of part one and you understand the fundamentals of lipidology and the basic terminology, now we can get into lipid metabolism. You may be wondering, why is this even important? Well, it's a good question. I put a lot of thought into making this series for you all, and understanding cholesterol metabolism is a really important foundation for the episodes that follow. If you understand where different cholesterol particles come from, how your body makes them, regulates them, how your body gets rid of them, then you'll be able to understand in future episodes how certain interventions, whether it's nutrition, lifestyle, or medications, lower cholesterol levels. To recap from last episode, about some of the properties of cholesterol and lipids. Remember that lipids are hydrophobic, and this is a physical property of a molecule that means it repels water. So the only way lipids like cholesterol and triglycerides can be transported around the body is by being bound to proteins. And these proteins are called lipoproteins. This makes it a water-soluble lipid transportation vehicle so that way it can float around in your blood. I have a picture of this on our Instagram from last episode, so taking a look at it might help. All lipoproteins have a core of this hydrophobic cholesterol ester and triglycerides surrounded by a hydrophilic surface coat of phospholipids and apolipoproteins. Remember, triglycerides are three fatty acids stuck on a glycerol molecule. These are high energy molecules and their function is as an energy transporter. They go through the blood, are trafficked to tissues that use energy like muscle or store energy like adipose tissue, which is fat. Okay, now you'll remember that ApoB is the class of what we call atherogenic lipoproteins, the ones that over a certain threshold can deposit cholesterol in the artery walls all over your body and cause atherosclerosis. Remember that they all have either an ApoB48, so chylomicrons or chylomicron remnants, which you're going to learn about today, or they have an ApoB100, and we briefly covered this, but that includes what's called VLDL particles, IDL particles, LDL particles, and LPA. If you're able to right now also, before we get further in metabolism, it may be helpful to pull up the lipid metabolism diagram from the European Society of Cardiology on our Instagram. And zoom in on that while we dig into metabolism. If you can't right now, no worries. We're going to take it slow. But a visual may help with digesting specifically the lipoprotein transport and metabolism a bit easier. So where does cholesterol come from? Well, we covered in last episode that each cell has the ability and the machinery to generate cholesterol on its own. But most cholesterol is synthesized in the liver. And this is referred to as an endogenous production. So your liver is making its own cholesterol. Biosynthesis of cholesterol in hepatic cells, that means liver cells, occurs when acetyl-CoA and acetyl-CoA 
are converted into cholesterol through a multi-step process, which truthfully is beyond the scope of this podcast, but it's facilitated by an important enzyme called HMG-CoA reductase. This will become important in a future episode when we discuss medications such as statins, which happen to be HMG-CoA reductase inhibitors, but you don't need to worry about that for now. So your liver makes cholesterol through this pathway. The liver also converts free fatty acids to triglycerides, the driver of lipoprotein production, and adds cholesterol. So the cholesterol in your liver is then packaged together with triglycerides and lipoproteins containing one molecule of ApoB, or they're used for bile acid synthesis. So let's dive into these two pathways. We're going to discuss bile acid more later for now. We're going to start with ApoB lipoproteins. The ApoB lipoproteins formed by your liver are secreted into the plasma, so that's your blood, as what we call very large density lipoproteins, otherwise known as VLDL for short. If you remember from last episode, under normal physiological conditions, LDL particles carry 90% of the cholesterol and VLDL particles carry 90% of the triglyceride. That's why they're very large. And that's hence why the name is very large density lipoproteins. So what happens to the VLDLs? The VLDL particles are secreted into your blood circulation and acted upon by lipoprotein lipases. These remove free fatty acids to become IDL, which is intermediate density lipoprotein, and then eventually LDL. Let's dive deeper here. VLDL particles are hydrolyzed to free triglycerides for energy storage and consumption to be used elsewhere in your body. When VLDL is hydrolyzed, it then becomes smaller, denser, what we call triglyceride-rich lipoprotein remnants. These remnant particles can either be taken up by the liver, but most are progressively hydrolyzed to become LDL particles. Okay, few. Are you guys still with me? So to recap, the liver makes a bunch of cholesterol, which is then packaged together with triglycerides into lipoproteins containing one molecule of ApoB. So ApoB lipoproteins such as VLDL are then metabolized in the plasma to LDL. LDL particles, as we discussed, are generally rich in cholesterol and lower in triglyceride, and they have historically viewed mostly as a product of VLDL metabolism. Therefore, VLDL is considered mainly as a precursor of LDL. But while this is somewhat correct, there's actually nuances to this. As it turns out, Actually, not all LDL particles are just products of this process of VLDL lipolysis. Hepatocytes, the cells in your liver, they make and secrete a significant number of LDL particles, even when triglycerides are elevated. Lipoprotein kinetic studies have identified hepatic secretion of LDL at the same time that VLDL is released. So essentially, your liver can directly release ApoB lipoproteins such as LDL or VLDL, which is hydrolyzed LDL. So then what happens to LDL particles floating around the plasma in your body? Well, some are taken up by the liver hepatocytes for further metabolism and secretion into bile, which we're going to discuss further later on. Some LDL is also taken up by the peripheral cells as a source of cholesterol, and some, depending on your level of ApoB and LDL particles in your body, if you exceed a certain threshold, LDL particles may 
deposit cholesterol in the endothelium of your vessel, causing atherosclerosis or plaque buildup. And as you know from last episode, we can see this in the coronary arteries, which we refer to as heart disease, the arteries of the legs, which we call peripheral artery disease, the neck or the carotid, which raises your risk for stroke or any vessel throughout your body. We discussed this process and how atherosclerosis happens in great detail in episode one of the cholesterol series, so make sure you check it out. Okay, I hope everyone's still with me. I promise hang in there. The rest of the cholesterol episodes coming up, which cover nutrition and lipids and medications and calcium scoring, they will not be this painful. Although I personally am obsessed with biochemistry and lipidology, so I happen to think this is very fun. I can appreciate that you may feel like you're in class right now being tortured, so please stick with me. It will be worth it to understand all of lipid metabolism. Okay, so what is HDL doing this whole time, you may wonder? APOA1-containing lipoproteins like HDL, as you know from last episode, they're a bit of an enigma. We discussed last episode that raising HDL cholesterol does not actually improve outcomes or reduce cardiovascular risk. At this time, we don't have robust testing for HDL functionality or efflux capacity. HDL particles do, though, in part transport excess cholesterol from the peripheral cells back to the liver in a process referred to as reverse cholesterol transport. The HDL particles can either transport cholesterol directly back to the liver or interact with something called cholesterol ester transfer protein to exchange cholesterol for triglycerides with triglyceride-rich ApoB lipoproteins. So the transferred cholesterol can then be taken back to the liver, either carried by triglyceride-rich lipoproteins or LDL particles. Triglycerides are a major source of energy for biological processes and are stored predominantly in the adipose tissue. Triglycerides are transported from the liver to muscle cells for energy consumption and, as we discussed before, to adipose cells for energy storage by these triglyceride-rich VLDL particles and their remnants. We are going to discuss dietary cholesterol and, of course, different types of dietary fat and their impact on lipid metabolism in a future episode. But as a brief overview in the context of lipoprotein metabolism, dietary fat in the form of triglycerides is digested in the gut and then converted back into triglycerides in cells called enterocytes. Enterocytes are cells of your intestinal lining, which purpose is to absorb molecules where these triglycerides are then combined with cholesterol and a truncated form of ApoB to produce triglyceride-rich particles called chylomicrons. You may have heard this term before. I mentioned it briefly in the last episode. Well, now you know what it means. So let's say that again. Dietary fat in the form of triglycerides is digested in the gut. It's then converted back into triglycerides in cells called enterocytes. These are the cells in your intestinal lining which absorbs these molecules. And these triglycerides are then combined with cholesterol and a truncated form of ApoB to produce triglyceride-rich particles called chylomicrons. And a reminder, there are diagrams on our Instagram to help you get a visual of this process. I highly recommend checking them out. Okay, so chylomicrons, what are they? What do they do? These particles are much larger and contain much more triglycerides than even the VLDL particles, which we've already discussed are filled with triglycerides. Remember when we discussed atherogenic lipoproteins, these all have either an ApoB48, so that's chylomicrons or chylomicron remnants, or they have the ApoB100, and this is VLDL particles, IDL, LDL particles, and LPA. It's important to note that lipoproteins classified as the large VLDLs They can actually be from the intestines or 
of liver origin. So the ApoB on VLDL can be 48, which is enteric origin in the intestines, or 100 from hepatic liver origin. Well, it's relevant here to remind you, as we discussed on the last episode, why you don't hear more about VLDL, IDL, or chylomicrons. Why aren't we measuring these? And that's because they're short-lived. We're not getting lab values for them because they're transient lipoproteins. For example, when VLDL enters the plasma, they last for a few hours. Then intermediate density lipoproteins, the IDLs, they last in the range of minutes whereas LDLs last for three to five days. And this is why typically 90% of the atherogenic ApoB particles are LDL particles, because they are the ones that hang around, the ones that we can measure. Well, under most conditions, VLDL particles and their remnants represent less than 10%, and chylomicrons even lower, even more transient, less than 1%, the total concentration of circulating ApoB lipoproteins, even in the immediate postprandial state, so right after you eat. So it's most likely that chylomicrons, or APOB48-containing VLDLs, carry large amounts of lipid due to their size and volume. You know, they're carrying mostly triglyceride, but also free cholesterol, cholesterol ester, and phospholipids. But it's most likely that they make no significant contribution to total APOB particle concentration because their plasma residence time is trivial except for some rare, extremely high triglyceride disorders. So what do chylomicrons do? Well, as you now understand, chylomicrons are large triglyceride-rich lipoproteins produced in the enterocytes, which are in the intestines from dietary lipids, such as fatty acids and dietary cholesterol. But the majority of the cholesterol in the gut is actually from endogenous origin. And if you remember, that means that's cholesterol that your liver made into bile and delivered via the biliary system. Human enterocytes typically absorb about 50 to 55% of intestinal cholesterol. Then once in the enterocyte, the cholesterol is trafficked through a variety of complex mechanisms that are way beyond the scope of this podcast, but it's trafficked for esterification, incorporated into chylomicrons, efflux into smaller HDL particles, or efflux back into the gut. Chylomicrons leave the enterocyte and move into the systemic circulation. They're acted on by an enzyme which cleaves off fatty acids, which in muscle and adipose tissue are immediately mobilized for energy or stored for future use. The removal of triglycerides from chylomicrons in the peripheral tissues results in the formation of what's called chylomicron remnants. Chylomicron remnants are smaller particles that are mainly composed of cholesterol and are taken up by the liver by the remnant and LDL receptors by recognition of a surface protein called APOE. I hope you're all still with me. I know so far this has been a doozy. We are almost through the hang tight. So now you may be wondering, how does our body even know how to regulate the amount of cholesterol it makes? The liver is in charge of maintaining cholesterol homeostasis in the body. And how does that work? You now know where chylomicrons come from in the gut, and you understand how cholesterol and lipoproteins and atherogenic lipoproteins are created in the liver. Well, how does our body regulate this? The most important part of this is how does our body get rid of cholesterol? So since the liver is in charge of maintaining cholesterol homeostasis in the body, the number of LDL receptors 
on the surface of the liver actually determines the plasma level of LDL cholesterol. There's an enzyme called PCSK9, and this determines the number of LDL receptors. And LDL receptors are incredibly important in how our liver metabolizes LDL particles in the blood. What happens is the ApoB on the LDL attaches to the LDL receptor on the liver. It's then catabolized, and the cholesterol ester is then either remade into cholesterol for another run through this exact VLDL-LDL pathway, or it's made into bile acids, which end up going into your gut. This is why high-fiber diets with viscous fiber particularly bind bile acids and help reduce your cholesterol, but we're going to discuss this in greater detail in a future episode. The LDL receptors remove ApoB particles from systemic circulation. Once the cholesterol is removed, the receptor is either recycled back to the surface or destroyed. And catabolism of the LDL receptors is controlled by this enzyme, PCSK9. So think about it. The more LDL receptors that are at the surface of the liver, and the more they're represented, the more you can pull LDL from the bloodstream and either put it into bile or recycle it in the LDL pathway. So when PCSK9 binds to an LDL receptor, it's destroyed in a lysozyme. And this is why we have a medication called PCSK9 inhibitors, which lower LDL cholesterol by interfering with this process. Synthesis of new LDL receptors is regulated by the level of free intracellular cholesterol. We'll get more into the medications in a future episode, but just important to note that that's where PCSK9 comes from. So what happens to HDL particles? Well, the liver surface, SRB1 receptor, offloads cholesterol from HDL particles as well as a part of this reverse cholesterol transport. So then overall, what is the fate of cholesterol in your blood? Okay. Depending on the level of atherogenic lipoproteins in your blood and various factors we've discussed, it can either end up in your vessel walls, causing plaque and atherosclerosis. It can be metabolized by the liver into bile for secretion into the gut or repackaged into LDL particles to start this cycle all over again. Okay, everyone, I hope this wasn't too painful. I'm a huge nerd, so I could talk about lipid metabolism for days, but I promise I will not torture you any longer. I want to reassure you this is the most complex episode in the series, so major congrats for getting through it. I promise these concepts and this foundation is super important for understanding everything else about cholesterol, including how nutrition and medications impact your cholesterol. So coming up in the series, as I mentioned before, we have so much more. We're going to deep dive in future episodes into the nutrition research, discuss how different types of fatty acids, dietary cholesterol, dietary fiber, and various other factors impact cholesterol. We're also going to discuss cholesterol screening intervals, when you should start screening and how often, different non-invasive imaging like calcium scores, and when medical therapy is recommended and the different types and how it works. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode or at the very least, didn't completely hate it. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I would love to keep bringing you all the latest health and wellness information and misinformation to debunk. So please do me a quick favor and leave a five-star rating review and share with a friend. Make sure to leave a comment about which wellness bag you'd like debunked next and I'll get to the bottom of it. Follow me on Instagram at MD and our podcast page at Wellness Fact Versus Fiction and be sure to tune in next week.